You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the science of genetic testing for cancer risk using the BRCA genetic mutations. In this segment, we will focus on the clinical testing for BRCA mutations. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Gregory Critchfield, a board-certified pathologist who is president of Myriad Genetic Laboratories. Myriad is a biotechnology company that has brought BRCA genetic testing to the clinical marketplace. Welcome, Dr. Critchfield. We are pleased to have you on the show. Thank you, Dr. Benson. I'm pleased to be here. Perhaps you could be so kind as to tell our audience what tests are available to the clinician for BRCA. The first thing to understand is that we are trying to offer a very, very sensitive test to detect mutations that may occur in BRCA1 or BRCA2. Because the mutations can occur anywhere, the test has to be quite comprehensive in scanning the entirety of the gene. This is done by sequencing the gene, where, where a proofreading is made of every A, every C, every T, every G across the entire gene. And then we look for structural defects in the gene called large rearrangements that might be present as well. So this is the kind of testing that is done uh, to find that first, the, the, the first member of a particular family that might have a mutation. That is called a comprehensive test. We also have what we call a single-site test. The single-site test is used when we know what mutation has been previously found in a, in a family, and we can test members of that family for that specific mutation. This is a much more targeted analysis than the first one. The third kind of test that's available is a test that we do in ethnic populations, primarily the Ashkenazi Jewish ethnic population, where there's a high rate of mutations in that group. We test for three common mutations, two of them in BRCA1, two in BRCA2. And, and that is, a, is a, again, a more targeted test, not the comprehensive test that I first discussed. Well, I wanted to dwell a little bit on this because I think I might be a little bit confused on this. When you do the comprehensive test, do you mean to tell me that your laboratory actually sequences part of the genome of the specific individual patient? That's correct. We're looking at 17,500 base pairs of DNA for BRCA1 and BRCA2, and we're sequencing every single location in both of those genes. So you sequence the entire 17,500 string? That's correct. Can you give our audience any appreciation for some of the technical aspects of this? Yes, I can. I can tell the audience that every day in our laboratory, we, we sequence more than 6 million base pairs of DNA each day in the laboratory. For an individual, we, we, we actually sequence... 35,000 base pairs because we do redundant sequencing where we do it in the forward and the reverse direction. Is that for quality? That's for quality. That We must be sure when we find a mutation that it is actually present. The worst thing that we could do for a patient and for the clinician would be to give a false positive answer. And as a result, we built multiple levels of redundancy into our system so that the system does not deliver false positives. It's critical that when there's a mutation there that it be verified, confirmed, and we have uh, built a quality process to make sure that when we report it out, we know it's there. Is this the same kind of approach that, I actually, as I, as I ask the question, I'm pretty sure it's not. For instance, as obstetricians, we do screening for carrier status for, for instance, cystic fibrosis. But as it occurs to me, we're really checking, I believe, for 
proteins and not the actual underlying genes. Is that correct? Actually, there are some tests that are checking for proteins and others that are checking at the genomic level. The majority of testing done in the U.S. today is looking at the genomic level. However, uh, it is not common to sequence the entirety of the, of the cystic fibrosis gene. They have short segments that are markers for the most common mutations. Exactly. So if I understand correctly, you guys are sequencing the entire genome that of interest, while to the extent that other genetic tests are being done for other purposes, typically these have short strings of the base pairs that fall into the most commonly encountered mutations. Is that correct? That's correct. And the reason that we do that is we want to get, we want to to look everywhere across the gene to see whether there is a specific mutation. Once we've found that mutation, then we can do that targeted analysis you speak of in other family members that, that we're looking for that particular mutation in. Well, I was very much wondering about this because I knew about the three thousand mutations, and I also knew that mutations can occur de novo. So I was wondering, my God, how are they going to find all these things with like just 80 key gene sequences? I couldn't understand how it could be done. Are there any other clinical lab tests that are available outside a research laboratory that actually do gene sequencing at this particular time? There, there are some. For example, in the, in the world of, of HIV, there are some sequencing tests that are used to assess mutations in genes that might render the virus less susceptible to drugs. Oh, I see. So in that case, they're actually doing genetic testing on the invading microbe. That's correct. But not on the host genome. There, there are some, uh, but they are not, they're not uh, nearly as common. And certainly in the area of, 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 in the predictive medicine area, talking about the hereditary breast cancer syndromes, the colon cancer syndromes, the melanoma, those are the areas that you see the, the, uh, the greatest application of this kind of technology currently. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Gregory Critchfield, president of Myriad Genetic Laboratories. Today we are discussing the science of genetic testing for cancer risk using the BRCA genetic mutations. This segment has been focusing on the clinical testing for BRCA mutations. So one can order a comprehensive laboratory report initially as kind of a broad screen. And once a mutation is found on the subsequent relatives, the specific test can be marked off on the requisition. Is that correct? That's correct. And then, of course, in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, because of the high rate of mutations, they have their own little box to check off. Is that correct? Yes, and that, and that test we call a multi-site test. And as I mentioned, there are three specific mutations we look for in that one. I would imagine it helps keep the cost, cost of testing down. It does. For the clinicians in the audience who actually see patients on a daily basis, say, for instance, they're impressed by this discussion of BRCA testing. How would they get the test? For their patients? There are a number of ways. We have sales representatives and medical educators that are out in the field uh, that, that uh, call on doctors to give them information. They can certainly visit our website and uh, call the company for information, and we would we'd be happy to get information out to them. The other way that, that I think is a very important thing is that physicians have the opportunity to become educated about these things in professional society meetings and in professionally prepared materials from medical societies. This is very important. Uh, the, these, these organizations play a key role in making sure that clinicians are getting up-to-date information, uh, understanding what guidelines are, are present, 
and who the candidates are for testing. It sounds to me that one way they probably couldn't get the test is to just try to contact their national laboratories and get the test through their normal contact with these national laboratories. Is that correct? That's correct. They, they, they would need to contact Myriad Genetic Laboratories and, and arrange to have the, uh, t- the testing uh, kit sent to them and, and materials given to them. Once they have the testing kit, what do they do? The, the clinician would sit down with the patient and, and go through the family history qu- questions. And if it looks like it, it meets, uh, for example, the red flags that the AMA and others have developed, that would be a candidate for the test. The clinician would talk to the, to the patient about what, what a, a positive test means, what a negative test means, what you would do with this information. Then the clinician would say, uh, would you like to have this test done? If the, if the answer is yes, then the patient would, would sign an informed consent form, and the, uh, the clinician would arrange to have blood drawn on the patient, and the blood would come into the laboratory, and we would perform the test. It just gets FedExed, is that right? Yes, it's FedExed overnight. Can it FedEx at room temperature? It can. Uh, we've done a lot of stability studies, and, and the, the DNA is, is in very good condition for, for, the, for the transport times that, that we find with FedEx. It's not a problem. And how long does it take to get the results back? And there are two steps that are, that are done. The first step is, is to make sure there's, there's insurance uh, uh, verification. This is a typical process. Uh, that can go very quickly, or in some cases, some, some insurance companies are a little more challenging. It, once it goes into the laboratory process, then within a couple of weeks, the results are back in the hands of the clinician, and they, and they can sit down with the patient and go over the results. Does Medicare or public aid cover this? They do. Both private and public insurers cover the test. Uh, I can give you some interesting statistics. Over 90% of individuals who request testing services have them paid for by a third party, and the out-of-pocket expense to an individual is less than 10%. And, of course, there's one question I've been dying to ask about this testing process. Assume that, for the sake of argument, that I'm not Werner von Braun, the famed German rocket scientist. When I get that test result back, what does it look like? The test result comes back. It's like a typical laboratory report. It talks about the test, the, the, the patient that the test was done on, the doctor's name, the time of the test, and so on. It gives a result of, of mutation uh, present or absent for the genes that were tested for, and then it has an interpretation that talks about what it means. For example, it is a positive test. Then it would say that, uh, that the mutation is a deleterious mutation. It would give a risk of what this means to the patient for having cancer uh, in, in, in his or her life. And then the the clinician would would use that information to decide what to do with the patient next. Does your laboratory have resources for physicians uh, to follow up and further advise patients, or should the physician uh, send the patient on to a genetic counselor? What about our physicians in the audience who really this is all new to and might not feel entirely comfortable being the entire source of information for those unlucky enough to have the mutation. I think that each clinician has to assess where he or she is with regard to their knowledge about this test. There are certainly centers where people can send individuals to be tested, uh, but what we're finding is most clinicians are very, uh, very able to identify people at risk, to uh, to tell them uh, what what the what the test means, and then from that point on, they work with their colleagues to strategize on on a management plan for the patient. It's like any new medical test that comes in. There is lots of information. Uh, there, are, there are resources at Myriad centrally, people with experience in genetics who can answer questions that the clinicians might have. And, of course, there are clinical colleagues in a variety of areas across the country 
who have a great deal of experience and also serve as resources. Can patients be penalized by their insurance companies once they have a positive test? Can they lose insurance or receive premium increases because now they have this gene that puts them at high risk? That's an excellent question. That was a big fear uh, in the early days of genetic testing, a fear that has proven not to, not to be true. There are a number of studies that have been done looking at, at insurance uh, discrimination where, where somebody might have their premiums raised or might be dropped from an insurance plan. And then there's, it, it, as everyone has looked at it systematically, there's no evidence that this happens. There are a number of laws, both federal and state, that prohibit insurance discrimination. Well, I think that'll be very reassuring to our audience. I want to thank Dr. Gregory Critchfield, president of Myriad Genetic Laboratories, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the science of genetic testing for cancer risk using the BRCA genetic mutations. In this segment, we focused on the clinical testing for BRCA mutations. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233 the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.